Welcome to another episode of your Wild and Exposed podcast. Before we begin today's show, we have an exciting announcement from our sponsor, Precision Camera in Austin, Texas, the largest camera store between New York and L.A. Precision Camera is offering Wild and Exposed listeners a free 16 by 24 fine art print of one of your images with free shipping as well within the United States. To get this, go to our website at wildandexposed.com. On our homepage, go to the menu at the top right and go to our sponsors page. There, you'll find a quick link to Precision Camera. And once you're on their page, go to the option for a virtual consultation with one of their friendly and knowledgeable staff. They'll be more than happy to discuss and answer any questions that you might have for gear that you're interested in. At the conclusion of your visit, they'll give you a coupon code that will give you access to order this free 16 by 24 fine art print of one of your images. By supporting Precision Camera, you're also supporting your favorite podcast, Wild and Exposed. Now, on with today's show. Welcome to Wild and Exposed. Your number one adventure, nature, and outdoor photography podcast. Wild and Exposed is hosted by Mike Morrow, Ron Hayes, Jason Loftus, and Mark Raycroft. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome to another episode of Wild and Exposed podcast. Myself, Ron Hayes, coming to you from Wyoming, and Jason Loftus coming to us from Utah. And our guest this week, Chris Hood. Coming to us from a very happy Wisconsin right now, right? Yeah, buddy. (laughs) Bucks and six. (laughs) So we had to postpone the podcast for one night. So you'll be hearing this uh, a week or so after it was recorded. But we had to postpone the podcast because Chris had a chance to go to game six of the the finals and, and watch the Bucks clinch it at home. Yeah, it was a pretty pretty incredible atmosphere. Pretty awesome to be at. Uh, absolutely blast of a night, sure for sure. So when we get done, we'll give you Chris's Instagram feed. Make sure you go to the feed and check out the, the celebration that he posted on uh, on his Instagram feed. It was it was quite the mass of humanity, all in a good mood. Oh yeah. <laughs> so Jason, what have you been up to the last couple of weeks? I know where you're going. Right, what, right. What yeah. have you been up to? Uh, I actually snuck over to the Colorado and um, did some velvet elk stuff, which was kind of fun. Uh, you know, I had a couple of target bulls I was looking for, but didn't connect on them. But still had a really good time, had some good um, high country elk stuff. And then just been getting ready for my trip to Alaska. So leave here in another, by the time this comes out, I leave here in just a few days. So mm-hmm. looking forward to that big time. It's a, a bucket, list, bucket list trip of mine. Uh, go up there and spend some time with the bears. So nice. Where uh, where are you going? I'm gonna go to Kodiak. Gonna go to Kodiak and then do some day trips over to Katmai and you know photograph the local bears in Kodiak there and then do some Brooks Falls and Katmai stuff. So should nice. be fun. Should be fun. Yeah, Pretty I know cool. you just got back from over that way too, didn't you? Not too long ago, Chris. Yep, yep. I went up fishing for a few days and went over to uh, to Brooks for about just shy of a week. So. Nice. It was. I was there a little early. The fish really hadn't started running yet, but uh, um, I just got an email actually today or something that said that they've surpassed the 2018 run in Bristol Bay. So they're already over like 64 million fish now. So um, wow. they're de- they're definitely there now, and I imagine they'll be running all summer, rest of the summer. So right. Yeah, I was just. That's what I was going to say. We just had a couple conversations with folks said it's like slam and run this year so that's perfect once in a while i hit it right <laughs> yeah I, we i wish we would have uh went a little bit later but um i went with a group that had secured a cabin at brooks so and they chose the last four dates of july because or june i mean because if you pick dates in july <coughs> you only get uh three nights as opposed to four nights if you do it in june so they picked the last four nights 
of June. And typically I've been there twice before and it's been good then. Um, but this year it was just the water's been rain, a ton of rain up there. Snowpack was big and water's high and cold. So, um, it's just taken a while for the water to warm up and the rivers and stuff and for the fish to start swimming. So Chris, let's, uh, kind of take a step back and just, we, Jason and I were both on a trip with you this winter and that's when we kind of hatched the idea for having you on, um, as a guest on the podcast, but just for the group or for the listeners, let us know where you got your start. How did you get your start in photography? Because it wasn't always wildlife, right? You were, you said yeah, a landscape um, guy initially, right? Well, I mean, wildlife has always, always been a passion. I mean, you know, go back to, you know, being a kid, you know, growing up and my dad would bring home and put a bag of corn outside of our you know, window in our basement and we'd have deer in the backyard and you watch them, you know, all night long and stuff. And, um, just, you know, became, you know, kind of immersed in, you know, in love with wildlife, just kind of started with that. And then, you know, you get the national geographic magazines and all that kind of stuff. And you page through those and you see the incredible photos and all that kind of stuff. So I've always had an affinity for wildlife, but, uh, um, kind of from the photography side of things, um, landscapes definitely was really where I started mostly because um the big wildlife lens is pretty expensive so it took some time to to save up to be able to buy those um which you know once I did obviously it, it um you know changed the focus a little bit but it's also you know I feel like I shoot I shoot a lot of wildlife I think based on more of a that landscape background you know, that's more of a nature scape or just more of a all encompassing shot, you know, in combination of wildlife and land and the landscape, not just, um, you know, the, 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 the wildlife, you know, fill the frame subject type shot. So. And I think we saw some of that when you were, you know, when we were up in Yellowstone, everybody had long lenses on, you were, you were throwing a, a wide angle on just as much as you had a long lens on. Yeah, shooting shooting the you know the one to four or two to six quite a bit to get those wider shots, um, you know because I've you know, done you know done the wildlife stuff now for I don't know now we're pushing probably close to eight nine years and um, you just end up with a lot of the similar shots you know just different you know maybe a little bit different subject here and there but once you start backing out a little bit you can kind of create some you know more diverse type of images and stuff and. You know, I kind of, I don't know, that's just for me, I just kind of like that um, look more these days. So, you know, I'm grabbing more, you know, even when I go for a long lens, I'm grabbing the 400 instead of the 600, you know, mm-hmm. trying to trying to get that. Um, obviously, there's certain situations where you still need a six or whatever is because you can't get close enough or whatever it may be. But, um, but that's, you know, a different battle in itself. So, mm-hmm. Now you are fairly similar to Mike. You kind of have the ability to go mobile when you want to. You've got your living space in a in a van, correct? Uh, I did. I did actually. I just sold it um, this oh, spring. You did. I did. Yeah, it was. Um, you know, I've had it for had that van for about six years. Um, put a hundred thousand miles on it, and it was my my mobile base station. My you know office on the road. Um, and it worked. I loved it. It kept me closer to where I needed to be. Um, allowed me to stay more days out in the field, obviously at way less expense than having to do hotels and whatnot and way more comfortable than doing campgrounds, especially in, in the winter months. Um, but, uh, with the market, the way it is, and, um, I was actually able to, to turn a profit on the vehicle after owning it for six years and a hundred thousand miles. So I kind of had to, had to let it go and it's time to time to time to do something else. So we're in, in the process mm-hmm. of building out a new, a new setup. Um, it'll be a little bit different. I won't be able to go from the driver's seat, walk to the back to the go to bed, but, um, but at the same time, it'll be pretty much all encompassing and still be quite as mobile too. So. Awesome. Can't wait to see it. Now you recently made some equipment changes also. Yeah. Um, so I've been, you know, since I started my getting back into the photography business, you know, deal from 
I think, you know, I really started getting into it hard in like 2000, oh, 2009-ish, 2008, 2009. Um, and I'd shot Nikon um, pretty much all the way through. It was just what I've always shot and always always was really happy with the results, whether, you know, you know, be the image, the sensor or the, the glass. I always felt like they both complemented each other really well and always had great results. Um, you know, and then Sony came out with the, their, you know, mirrorless setups and I ended up getting a A7R, you know, the first one that came out with just a, a couple of small primes, you know, a, like a 55 and a, I think I had like a 20, 25 maybe, or you know, maybe it was a 25, just, you know, some light, but the main reason was because it was so small and so light. Um, so when I would take it in the back country and, you know, on, on longer backpacking type trips, um, it really helped cut the weight um, and space in the bag. So um, I kind of ran that setup, you know, since the beginning. Um, Nikon was still obviously my, my go-to and my workhorse and everything I did, especially, especially when you go to the wildlife side, because I had the long glass for it. Um, but after, um, I don't know, a couple, I guess, couple different trips and having a few issues with, with night, with the Nikon stuff. And, um, real, really the main trip that really made me start thinking about switching was a, a trip to Africa, um, in February ish, February of 2019, um, I was over there and um, was trying to shoot, you know, getting creative with shots and um, that kind of stuff. And there was just, I was just super limited with the autofocus on the D850 in live view, um, and then as well with the the Z7. Um, I had both those over there with me and. Um, I just, it was not allowing me to get shots the way I was trying to get shots. And it, it cost me, you know, a few different good shot opportunities on shots that I didn't get. And so I came back immediately and I didn't own any long lenses for, for Sony yet, but I randomly bumped into a local photographer in town at a high school basketball game. And he had, he was shooting the Sony 400. And I, I really didn't know him beforehand. Um, and as soon as I, I bumped into him and you know, I saw the 400, I, you know, I immediately went up to him and started chatting with him and became friends. And I asked him if I could, you know, if I let me borrow it and try and see, you know, if I could recreate the type, kind of shots I was trying to shoot in Africa, but with like my dog. And I picked, you know, picked his stuff up and, you know, he let me borrow it for a couple of days and, you know, was able to go recreate the same kind of shots and the Sony nailed it every, every last one of them. And so that was what really made me start kicking the tires on it. Um, you know, the autofocus, especially on like the a nine two was just out of this world. That was, I think that had just come out about then, um, that same time frame, And, you know, it was sacrificing on the, uh, the megapixel side of things, but, um, you know, from the speed and everything else, you're, you're just getting way more, um, keepers than, than you are not. So, um, sometimes that sacrifice on the megapixels is worth it. So I really started kicking tires, um, on it. Um, and then I kind of, I guess it was right before COVID, um, I was, I had, I had this was the winter. It was the winter. So I was testing. Steve had just gotten the 600 um, in the Sony. So they, that was like kind of when, once they got the, they came out with the 600, that was when I was like, all right, now they've got the long glass that really, you know, matches up with what I've got for Nikon. It's time to start thinking about it. And Steve bought one. So he let me borrow his gear again. And I went and shot it side by side, you know, on just, you know, waterfowl or just whatever stuff I could find at the time just to test. And, you know, the D850 with the 600 and then the A7R4 with the, with the 600 and then the A92 with the 600. Um, and I'd throw all those images into Lightroom and I'd put them up side by side. And uh, like apples for apples. I couldn't, I couldn't tell you which image was which. Um you know, there's because there's times where I shot the Sony stuff 
and I kind of, you know, thought it was you know a little bit lesser of an image um, than the Nikon stuff. But, you know, I guess mom was just so used to how good the Nikon good is when it was really good. And the Sony, I just get, probably wasn't getting the same kind of light, same kind of conditions. Um, so I went and tested it all side by side. And when I couldn't figure out which image was which, all right, I knew enough to say, all right, so that's not a reason to um, – have to limit my my choice here so now let's think about what other what other reasons do i want to make the switch and it took i took all the the gear down to uh our our office and put it on a scale the nikon the nikon the a50 with the grip to get the extra frames per second plus the, mm-hmm. the lens was like 12 pounds and you put the sony the a9 a92 with the 600 on the on the thing and it was like eight pounds so you're talking 30 percent savings in weight which when you start doing a lot of traveling with your gear you know especially internationally when you're going on these small planes and they have you know weight limits of of like 23 pounds for your carry-on um you know on some of these international flights you know more so not so much in the u.s because the u.s is pretty lenient but once you get to the smaller regional air- airlines you know you start to have issues with your bag weight and all that kind of stuff and but definitely new you know new zealand africa all that stuff you know the the weight savings was huge so um it allows me to take more gear or or just travel lighter and more comfortably um you know and then the the third and final reason was was the autofocus the autofocus on the the a92 and the frame rate those two things were just you couldn't compete with them so um so i made the switch and then shot with that equipment all last year and then obviously sony announced the a9 or the a1 here and uh, i guess would have been must announce it maybe end of january uh, i think i finally got it right after our trip, which is a little unfortunate because I didn't get to put it through the paces that I wanted to, um, you know, on, on the wildlife side right away. But, um, um, I just got back from Alaska with it for a week up there shooting, you know, bears and stuff and some fast stuff. And, um, I can't be more than impressed with that camera and incredibly happy. I, I, I switched to Sony and I'm shooting that camera. Yeah. I think you're, uh, your images from that trip you've posted i don't know seven or eight something like that photos and there they are they're incredible man great work but the, yeah that's you can see i don't know if it makes sense but you can see a difference i think you know what i mean yeah i appreciate that man it's uh yeah it's been it's just fun to shoot i mean it's just the you know the ability for that lens to just grab focus and hold focus and and be able to track is you know like obviously you know shooting I mean, we were shooting a D850 before. Jason and he shot the D850 for a while. It's you know, it's not you know, it's not geared towards a wildlife sports camera, you know, but it, it's it did damn well um, with the autofocus. Uh, but it obviously there was times where it would it would fail and it wouldn't keep up, and especially you know on the the instances where the animals are moving directly towards you. Um, as a it's a shot that's tough to for autofocus systems to keep up. But that, I mean, that A1 is just incredible. I mean, I think it's, I think it's something like 60 calculations per second on the autofocus. Um, and it's like, yeah, it's just insane. I think the, the A92 was 60, right? And then the, the A1 was faster yet. It was like almost double. Yeah, I, I think that's right. I think you're right. I think 60 is, is what it was. And I think it is double. So it's it's crazy fast, and it's you know you can shoot thirty frames a second, but you know I I, I didn't. Um, you have to change a few settings to do that, and you have to shoot compressed. Uh, I think I think it's their lowest lowest setting um, on it, and your your image is a little bit degraded, um, not not a ton, but it just it's just enough that. I'd rather not have a degraded image and rather get the extra 10 frames a second or then get the extra 10 frames a second. So yeah, I just, I just been sticking with the 20 frames. So yeah, if you wanted 30, just shoot video. Right. Exactly. (laughs) So, and, and Jason commented about the autofocus on the, 
the Sony system that he had also. But then everybody that I talked to that shot the A92, they said it was almost like cheating. I mean, with the autofocus system, it, tracking birds in flight and that kind of thing, it was just, it was easy. Yeah, so it's what, amazing. what made you jump to the A1 from the A92 if it was that good? Well, um, mostly because it was the three cameras I had in in one. So I was shooting... I was shooting the A7R4 and the A92, right? I wanted wanted to have the resolution when I needed the resolution, uh, whether it be landscape or whether it be, you know, wildlife, but, you know, needed some crop or whatever it may be. Um, but when, if it was something I really knew I needed the autofocus for, I was I would grab the A92. Or if it was, you know, I had a lot of client work where it's fast-moving, candid stuff, um, stuff that's just on the fly and you're not – you know, you're not, you're not having control of, of clients or, or, or the people that you're shooting, um, to be able to nail more shots with that system was, that was kind of where I used that a lot. Plus, plus the image images were smaller. So I wasn't racking up the terabytes of data. I was like, I was, if I was shooting just the A7R4 on those types of shoots. So, so I was shooting both of those. And then obviously the A7S three came out and from a video standpoint that was you know being able to do you know 4k 120 frames a second which is you know incredible you know so so i kind of picked one of those up and you know because i do do a fair amount of video throughout the year that um, clients will use in marketing materials you know commercials or um, launch videos for products or whatever it may be so um so yeah, I was uh, I was basically having all three cameras with me, and then the A1 came out, and it basically did everything that all three of those cameras does, kind of in one camera. So I can trim my bag down from three cameras to to one, or in my case, I'm shooting two. I've got a backup, right? You know, a, a second mm-hmm. camera, so I'm shooting two A1s, but it's you know slim my bag down from three cameras to one, and that now I'm shooting. When I'm shooting two cameras, I'm getting the exact same results with both cameras as well. So, what is the resolution of the of the A1? I think it's 51. I think is it. I think so. That's smaller than the A7S or A7R4. A7R4. Yeah, which is like but, 62. I think. Yeah, but yeah, still. it's a li- it's a little bit smaller, but it's you know the the A92 was only 20 20 yeah. point two or 24 or something like that. So it's double the, double the resolution yeah, of that system. Exactly. Yeah. And the dynamic range and everything, you know, all the stuff. I mean, it's, it's, it's a, it's a badass camera. I mean, I'm thoroughly impressed with it. The, the, you know, and Sony's, Sony's so good at listening to their photographers and, um, you know, I've emailed in to, to the Sony rep I work with. I don't know if, four or five different times on different things and every time he comes back it's like oh we it's you can do that it's you know this this setting and go into this menu it's there if it's this button on that lens or or it's you know but they're really good at listening you know and he's always he's always encouraging me is there other other things that you come up with that you'd like to see like um you know email over like one of them and specifically one of them was like when we're in africa right you know, you can't get out of your vehicles. You're stuck shooting from the vehicle. And a lot of times you're shooting on a beanbag from the, the, you know, window rest or they, you know, out, you know, on the edge of the car, they've got, you know, bars or whatever. And, you know, you've got a beanbag you're shooting on. Well, typically where you lay your lens on that beanbag is usually right on the focus wheel, you know, Mm -hmm. and as soon as you start moving left or right on that, you know, as you're tracking an animal or whatever, that starts to move that focus ring. So you can miss shots based on that. And I, so I emailed, I emailed the Sony rep. I'm like, Hey, this is one thing I know it's, it's probably not a, you know, super common issue, but it was an issue for me and a, a couple of guys when we were in Africa, um, that we were missing a few shots here and there because as we're tracking animals left and right, the focus is moving on us. Um, and he's like, Oh, we've got a button on the, on the, the 600 and the 400 that turns that off that turns the focus ring off so you don't have to deal with that and i'm like oh so you guys have already done that so cool <laughs> so i mean just things like just things like that they just they're constantly thinking about things and and how they can make it 
you know, make it better, make it easier for the shooter. I mean, all the custom buttons, you know, the program things. I mean, I, you know, I run, you know, two different focus setups uh, on my camera with both back button, right? Your AF on and your AEL buttons are both two different focuses. One's 3D tracking, one spot focus, um, obviously with eye detect on, on the 3D tracking and when it grabs on, it grabs on and it's super sticky and like, you know, it's amazing what it, it can do, you know, tracking a critter bear walking through grass and it stays on the eyes and doesn't jump to the grass or any of that kind of stuff. And, um, it's, it's just, it's, an, it's incredible how good it is. That's what I was going to ask you. The bears with that low contrast difference between the eye and the fur, how it did with, with those, because that's one of the places that the R5 does struggle. Yeah, it's it it, it, it did really it did really really well. I was I was impressed because because this is not you know that's not a ton of different in contrast, right? You know the the black you know dark eye to the brown fur or, or you know it just it did incredibly well. You know I was impressed. You know and, and the other mm-hmm. the other thing is like I'm able to get shots now with this setup. You know that I really wasn't able to get before. Like in the way I when the in the way that I mean is. Um, I've got some program buttons like either on the lens or on um, on the camera itself where I can just push one button and I can all of a sudden go into settings, go into settings and I'm shooting like slow shutter for like motion blur type shots. And then I can let go of that button and I'm right back to shooting fast action, freezing, freezing water, freezing, you know, action at only one two thousandth of a second. And I can do that with just pushing one button so i'm able to shoot the fast scene quickly grab a motion blur let go of it and go right back to shooting all that all the fast action stuff so it's those are shots i wouldn't have been able to get i got to pick one or the other before you know when i was shooting with nikon and and just i couldn't i couldn't get both those in the same setting and it's it's pretty incredible because you know if, if you ever tried motion blur on wildlife or whatever um it takes a cup, you know, it takes a 30 seconds to switch your camera settings over, you know, and just mm-hmm. that process is you're going to miss that sequence of shots, but then you get to your, you know, where the action is and then you shoot. And then if you want to go back to the other setting and you lose another 30 seconds of shooting, you know, going back to what you were before. So, um, yeah, it's just, this is little things like that. I'm just thoroughly impressed, um, and extremely happy I made the switch. So, Right after the trip that we did, that we all did together, and then, you know, you got the, the A1s, you took a trip down to Patagonia, correct? Uh, I was supposed to go down. Um, I was supposed to be going to Guatemala. I had a bike accident and messed my elbow up, so I couldn't go. There was a Brazil trip in there as well that got canceled. COVID got bad down there. Okay. So I couldn't go on that. I've got a um, polar bear's on the books for October, which is, you know, it's been two years, two years or three years out that I've been waiting to go on that one. Um, and it just, I just heard the other day that it sounds like Canada is going to open the border for vaccine Americans to come up starting in, I think August. So fingers crossed that that happens, right? Yeah, for sure. Where are you headed for polar bears? Churchill? Church, Churchill, yep. Right on. <laughs> Yeah, we've got a we've got a we've got a group. Um, actually, a guy that I met in Africa is um, we, we, between me and him. We got we you know booked up the whole eight spots, um, and he's got I think six of them, and I've got two of them. Um, so I was able to get another another person to go, and then I think he's taking two people to two clients. But then I think his wife and his two daughters are going. So. Awesome. Yeah, so I'm excited because that's one of the few places that I know of that you can get out and walk around with polar bears. So, yeah, 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 that'll be cool. <laughs> Mike, yeah. yeah, Mike did a lot of that, and then he just said, make sure that there's more than one person out at a time. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, they they get a little inquisitive. Yeah, yeah, it sounds like they. Yeah, you go out in a kind of a group and they're usually usually a, a guide with you or, or somebody with you and they usually mm-hmm. suffer from the sound what it sounds like they have a usually have a sidearm on them or you know some sort of you know whether it's rubber bullets or whatever it is but one thing i wanted to touch on just because you got so many amazing images and you've already talked about your time in africa um, but 
just the opportunity to go and photograph the the big big bulls. You you even got to photograph that legend of a bull, uh, Tim. Oh, Tim, yeah, yeah. When I went when I went over to Africa um, in nineteen, I went uh, just kind of last minute. Um, last minute there was a you know cancellation on a on a group on a it was a group photograph tour deal and um i had some cancellations and so he offered it back the, the spots back up at a pretty discount pretty good discount and so i just jumped on it and said why not and and so that was that was for big cats in kenya in the mara and i was like well if i'm gonna go there um, Ambicelli's, you know, not too far away. And that's where, where Tim was, who was at the time, like the, you know, second or third largest, um, Tusker in Africa. So I was like, it would be really cool to go try and find him. Uh, so I went over there for, I think four days. Um, and we spent two days trying to find him and, and we did the, one of the two days we did find him. So I got to spend, Oh, I don't know, a couple hours in the morning with him shooting him. So, yeah. And let's just say when you go through Chris's feed, you'll know exactly which bull we're talking about. There's no yeah. mistake. And he's just an incredible animal. Yeah. He's, he was huge. He was cool. He was cool just to be able to see. And then, you know, the light, light one could have been a little bit better um you know but it is what it is you you take what you get um just to have that experience and see see an elephant like that with with tuskers that are that big i mean they i think they said they were one was like 130 pounds or something like that like it's just insane how big those things are yeah he's a giant giant bull impressive animal and obviously to get old enough to to be that way you know that's impressive as well that they've been able to take care of him with everything that goes on over there yeah so actually actually heading back to africa here in like three weeks um just to the mara again um actually going to go with drew who we did uh, some of the winter winter wildlife stuff in yellowstone um he'll be over there from for some personal stuff down in south africa and then he's never been to the mara so and he wants to check that out and you know possibly put together some wildlife tours or whatever in the future over there so we're gonna go over and check out um check out some uh camps and all that kind of stuff so mm -hmm. well i hope he doesn't leave us out of that conversation no. when you guys get it set up right <laughs> you know it's funny i was just i was just gonna ask you that very thing i mean it's funny to me i mean i'll mention something like i want to go to alaska and shoot the bears and some folks are like well that's been done a million times every there's a million bear photos of alaskan bears everybody's done it and it's like well yeah so i really do think it depends on why you're going you know what i mean uh for me a lot of the trips i have in my mind the bucket list trips i have are they're a lot about the experience i mean yeah photos are cool and i want to get photos but then i have images that i want to get in mind but i'm really going for the experience right yeah and i think africa's a lot that way for people i know there's folks that don't want anything to do with africa and it's high on my list, um, you know, wanting to get over there and do some stuff too. But I was going to ask you, I mean, you're going back again. So obviously you had a good time. Obviously, you know, it sounds like it's something that you probably will start making a, a regular deal. Yeah. Well, you know, the, you know, going back to, you know, like I said, my younger days, flipping through the pages of Nat Geo, right. You know, um, my, my, my first love was always big cats, you know, just the, the cheetahs and the lions and leopards and just just big cats and so that trip i did that previous one i did in that february of 19 was was specifically for big cats um and you know you get over there and you know i've, I've been to africa a couple times you know before and you know i've been to south africa and you know I get to South Africa and it wasn't exactly what I had in my mind of what Africa looked like and what I expected. And it was a lot more brushy and, you know, and just a lot more, a lot greener. You know, I, we were kind of, I guess, rainy season a little bit. Um, but it was just, it wasn't what I expected. And then when I go to, when I went to the Mara and I was like, okay, now this is, this is what I expected Africa to look like. This is big open plains, you know, just, just what you expected. Right. So, um, that from that just to that standpoint like the whole setting is right and then to be able to you know we're going to go back and the time we're going is going to be really good for the migra the great migration which if you've ever seen photos of that mm -hmm. um it can be pretty incredible so that's 
you know, we're going to go during that time frame, and hopefully we can, you know, witness a giant river crossing and, you know, the will the beasts and zebras just going crazy and all that kind of stuff and get some of that, capture some of that chaos and, and whatnot. And then obviously with that, there's a lot of, um, you know, a lot of animals that lions and leopards will have a chance to, to have kills and, you know, maybe get some of the, the blood and the gore and the, that kind of stuff too, which unfortunately I didn't get on my, my big cat trip the last time. So, um, so yeah, just a chance to go back and do it again for the week. I, I kind of said last time when I go again, I, I really like to spend, you know, at least two weeks there just cause you kind of need that extra time. Um, but the, unfortunately just the way schedules work with Drew and then with, with me and with my work stuff, I really just, we can only do a week. So, um, hopefully we'll just get lucky. And you know, I know guys have gone, you know, over there nine, 10 times to try and hit river crossings, you know, and, they have yet to witness a good one. So that's wildlife. Yeah. That is yep. wildlife. You, you can go and you can go with all the hopes in the world and you can time it and try and do everything right and whatnot. And it's, you know, sometimes they just don't, they, you know, they got something else in their mind that day or that week or whatever, you know? So that happened to me just last night. Yeah. What were you doing last night? A sure thing. Red Fox, Dan. These people, we've seen them every night for the last month. They're right behind the house, gave us the the location this rancher did and went out there and nothing, but we got surrounded by cattle and just sat there listening to the cattle biller. <laughs> so I kind of, you know, fortunately there, well, not fortunately, but there's some wildfires going on. It's wildfire season out here. And with the wildfires and the, and the smoke, it, provides that great filter for the sun as it starts to get a little bit lower yep. on the horizon. So I was able to do some, you know, salvage it with some time-lapse video and of the, the sunset and that kind of thing, but no fox. And then we saw them on the way out. <laughs> they had moved about 400 yards, but they were, they were having a great uh, time without us. <laughs> we're actually getting some of that same, that same smoky haze over here in Wisconsin too. It's making it that far. It's, um, this last, I guess, week or so, it's been, um, you know, and I don't know if that's been affecting the allergies or if it's just that time of year allergy wise, but, um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely making it this far. And I've gone out looking for whitetails, you know, velvet whitetails the last few nights. Um, and again, yeah, I'm just, you know, same thing, getting unlucky with them right now. They're, mm-hmm. they're hit or miss. We need some little cooler nights yet. You know, we got a, there's, it's hot, you know, there's supposed to be a week of really hot weather right now. So probably won't move much till after dark. Yeah. Yeah, Ron, I'm not going to let that go real quick. Yeah. Isn't this like the second or third time you've had cow issues when you were trying to shoot this year? Dude, they <laughs> killed me during the grouse season. I got, I've got gotten more videos of, of cattle this year than uh, just about any other species of animal. Period. Right. Right. And then, so your domestic cattle portfolio is doing well. Huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> are they big long? Are they, they said are these are they the least big longhorns? You know, like cool right. bulls or no? You know. So no. yeah, I figured if I, if it's going to be cattle, so we did go buy a place that told us we could stop and photograph their longhorns, and they've got some good ones. But just waiting for that right weather day, you know. Yeah. And then. uh we got another another rancher that wants us to come photograph. They've got the the Scottish Highlands Highlander. Okay, yep, yep. Cattle, and With they're the shaggy s- hair, small but shaggy hair. They're really photogenic, and and these things are almost tame. You know, of course they're domestic, um, but we're kind of saving those on the on the back burner since I'm having such a good cattle year. I've got high hopes for yeah. <laughs> for when those opportunities come about. <laughs> there you go. What Jason was talking about, I think, was I had a cow stick her nose in the blind with me. Got a nice video, and actually I had to flick her in the nose to keep her from snotting up my my phone. I was videoing her with my cell phone. Nice. Just about had the same situation last night. But it was the maiden voyage for the, the C-70. So I went with the Canon system, and the reason that I got the C-70 was for some commercial work. And it had the built-in neutral density filters. It it accepted the R mount uh, lenses, same as the R five. So I went that route, and uh, didn't have a chance to do much at all with it. That's yeah. that's a video specific. Or is it it's, yeah, on video? it doesn't take stills. It's just video. Okay. 
and it but it you know it's got a lot of things that are automatic which is nice and it takes a little bit of getting used to it's automatic 180 shutter so if you're shooting at 30 frames a second the 180 shutter is you want it your shutter speed at 160th um so it does it makes that adjustment automatically it's got you know just like you were talking about with being able to switch to the uh you know so you get the the pan blur shots or the motion blur shots this is the same way you can at one button push here you know you're hitting a, a custom setting to be slow motion at 120 frames a second and it makes all the calculations and adjustments for you as well nice. so it is it is a good tool for what it is i don't you know it's not the best video camera out there but um it's definitely a good tool for what I'm going to be using it for over the next year. And, and it was paid for by the company that I'm working for now. So, um, yeah, that, that always helps, right? Yeah. It'll, it'll continue to pay for itself after that. So Jason, you made any changes on your gear setup or you, st- you, you know, I know you're kind of dabbling in a little bit of everything, trying to figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. You know, what's interesting is I've, I've pretty much committed to the Canon route. Um, it's interesting. I ordered my 600 Canon RF lens, which I haven't received yet. But uh, And then right after I ordered that is when the A1 came out, right? But um, mm-hmm. that A1 had really got me thinking hard about my decision. But I'm pretty comfortable with my decision at this point. I, mean, I think it's this Ford Chevy Dodge debate. I think they all take great images. and um, But, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to the R3. I think that R3's not going to have the megapixels that the A1 has, but I think it'll be pretty comparable in a lot of other ways. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, I just, so I've still got my Nikon gear. I haven't sold it yet. I just can't bring myself to part with it. Um, I don't know why I'm, it's probably really dumb of me, but um, there's, you know, rumors going around now about the Z9 and uh, more rumors about it. And I think Nikon's having to do that because, <laughs> you know, if they don't put something out here soon, they're going to lose a lot more people in a hurry. But, um, yeah. They, unfortunately, I think Nikon's just, they just, they slept way too long on the mirrorless stuff. And, mm-hmm. and then I just, you know, still, I'm, I, you know, I, 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 you know, went through this with Drew, right? Drew was shooting on Nikon and I've been shooting Sony now and I've been having a great time with it. And, you know, I kind of had to kind of coach him through, and he's actually making the switch to Sony. But you, you, you know, the Nikon, you still say you get a Z, uh, the Z9 coming out. There's still no long glass for it, so you still got to shoot adapted glass. You know, with an adapter, you know, which is not going to be the same. You know, same speed, same advantage, and everything that you get with you know a native a native lens, right? So you still got to buy. You know, and then when that does come out, you got to you know drop the cash to switch to, you know, that. So, you know, I just, I don't know. I, I really did. I really did like Nikon. I love the glass. I love the images I got out of them. I just, they just, they just weren't keeping up with what was going on in the rest of the camera world. So, well, your yeah. images haven't suffered making the switch. That's for sure. Yeah. No, that's a fact. You've, you've put up some awesome stuff from that Alaska trip. Yeah, I, I, I really haven't had time to go through much of it either. You know, I've gotten back and um, been just overloaded with, you know, fall prep stuff, you know, get stuff done. Why I've got a, you know, two, three week window where I don't have any, you know, jobs that I've got to go do right now. So it's time for me to get all my, you know, whitetail stuff and all the all the stuff I got to get done before fall gets here, before I start getting back. And I got a couple, you know, two work trips and that Africa trip in August. And then, um, soon as September rolls around, we're full bore and everything again. So, um, and I, I just had a, actually just had another client reach out about doing a, a shoot next weekend. So trying to find out details on that. So things calendars filling in too. So that's a good, that's a good problem to have. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Hey, you know, I don't know, Ron, if you had you, you have another question that you were headed down. Uh, I had one that we let him off the hook on, but go ahead. Well, let's we'll, let's save that we'll for now. I know it's when you're t- yeah. Let's let's catch that last. But um, so just a couple things, Chris. I know recently you revised your whole approach on your website and kind of your approach with prints and so on and so forth. And I've I've personally been very impressed with the whole approach you took and. Um, yeah, I, I there's I love the one series you have, and you got a lot of great images on there. But you have a series on there called the Approached series, which I just think is so cool. And it's if everybody on everybody that's listening needs to just go 
check out Chris's website. It's chrishoodphotography.com. But you can check out that approach series. It's just all like, and I don't mean this in a bad way, but all center punched, wide angle, um, you know, animals walking towards you. And it's it's incredible. I love it. I think it's so cool that you had the foresight to think of that series because you had to be thinking that way to put it together. Yeah. Um, and I maybe just talk a little bit about your approach with that and your website and kind of the approach you're taking there. Well, I mean, just as far as the the shots go, um, it's always something, you know, when I go out shooting, it's it's something that I look for um, trying to find trying to find the. Uh, the animals walking towards me and I try and obviously get it from a lower, lower perspective, you know, give them a little bit more, you know, position of power, more scale. And then, um, if a little bit wider angle to allow, you know, more landscape involved with the shot. Um, so it's always something I've just always tried to get. Um, it's, it, I can't say that I was actually looking for it for an actual series until probably, I don't know, two years ago when I start going back and looking through things and pulling things out and, and I start looking at stuff. I was like, man, you've really done pretty good on this. With, you know, let's start focusing on this a little bit more and start, you know, hitting some of these other species and, you know, different critters that, that I haven't gotten that same kind of look in. And, um, you know, after obviously doing that, it's a lot easier to pick out those spots and, and try and nail those shots as well. So, um, and then just from the other side of things, the website, right? So, you know, obviously I kind of take the, I've taken an approach where I'm, I want to do limited, limited quantity, um, on my prints. I want, I want somebody to feel like they're getting something of value. Um, you know, and, and from an artist standpoint, you know, by limited number, hopefully if I do my job right down from that side of the things that, that, those you know if i sell out some of those prints those will go up in value if somebody wants to try and buy that on a secondary secondary art market down the road that you know somebody now has something of value that they can look to sell so then they feel way more confident in purchasing another print from you down the road or whatever it may be because they know it's not something that they're just throwing money away at it's something that they can you know it's a store of value and you know possibly turn a profit on at some point um and i, I you just you know I've chatted with a bunch of different, you know, fine art guys, you know, Jeff Mitchum was, was, was a key, um, a buddy, a buddy, uh, a guy that I've become buddies with now, but my brother met him snowboarding in Alaska as a fine art landscape photographer out of, out of Tahoe. His name's Abe Blair and just chatting with both those guys and, you know, the, the things, the things that they see and that they, you know, what they deem, you know, fine art and exclusive, you know, um, you know, Jeff is big on saying anything over 300 quantity in a, in a, in a print is a poster run, you know, anything, mm-hmm. you know, he goes, keep your numbers low. You'll, you'll do better, you know, long-term you'll have to, you know, and, and it hopefully, you know, what it will make, you know, if you do start to sell out images, it will make you have to keep continue to work. Right. Cause you got to go out and continue to create new images that, mm-hmm. that people will want. Right. So, um, it keeps you driving and working and, um, like my buddy, Abe, he does his, his editions are only 25 and that's all he'll do is 25 in a print. And he's, or he's done, he's done some smaller runs like one of ones. Um, but he won't go over 25 in his, his prints. Hmm. I like that approach. I really do. I think it's a, there's a, there's a lot of different ways to approach things. So it's always interesting, interesting to me to see the thought process and why somebody would go that way. Right. But, um, I know guys that do really well doing the other way, you know, they sell prints and they sell lots of prints and they do fairly well, but, but yeah, I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not knocking that way. I'm not discounting it. Um, I just, I just know kind of where and how I want to, you know, have my art kind of, seen and on i also you know i'm kind of anal over how it's printed and how you know what the medium it's on and where how the finished product is going to look so i kind of you know i'm you know working with you know with what i feel is one of the better print labs in the country and then you know the finished product is i mean it's just not a cheap product to begin with um to get in from the first place so um and i but i think it will really make the images look their best. And I think the client will be the most happy with it, 
you know, when they get it on their wall and actually, you know, have it hang in their home. Yeah. yeah and I, and I can speak for the fact that I remember when you were going through that, I was watching your stories quite a bit and you actually met with the print house, went through the entire process of making sure the prints were going to look exactly like you wanted. I'm yep. sure you calibrated colors and printers and all that good stuff. And um, there's a lot of personal touch that went into that whole thing. So just for yep. folks that are listening, you know, yep. they may not understand that just going to your website. But when you know what you went through to make sure that your clients are getting the best possible print they can, that that makes a big difference. Yeah, exactly. And that's and that's, you know, it's, it's worth a little extra time, a little bit extra extra cost and, you know, getting all the, the test prints and making going through that process and making sure everything does match. Um, what I'm seeing on my computer as to what is coming out from the printer, what the client's going to get. So, um, mm-hmm. making sure, you know, that color consistency is there, um, and getting that dialed in. And, and I still, you know, once a year or whatever, I still go back and we recheck things, you know, I'll send them a new print and see where it's at, see if anything's changed on their end, see if anything's changed on my end, you know, but they, you know, they then build a database of my images. Um, so then when I send them an email, say, Hey, somebody ordered this print and this size, this finish, um, they can just go reprint it and everything should be dialed in perfect, ready to go. So, yeah, well, when you buy something from your website, you're definitely getting a piece of art. There's, you know, I think they're very custom framed and they're numbered, like you said, in the whole, I mean, it's, yeah, yeah, it's, it's classy stuff. So anyways, kudos to you, man. Yeah. Appreciate it. Thanks. So what, what percentage of your work, Chris is, uh, commercial versus, your print sales oh it's people um, will ask no it's it's um i would i would say still i don't know 80 percent of my work is just the commercial advertising client Mm -hmm. stuff um print sales print sales have been doing better this year um last year with covid and whatnot i think people you know i relaunched the website kind of right kind of in that covid time because i had the free time to, to finally get it you know worked on and get it right and um and go through and actually spend the time pulling out images and and all that stuff and working with the lab and all that kind of stuff so um but this this uh yeah this last year has been you know 2021 or whatever has been pretty good so far from the print sales um and it's you know it kind of comes from places where you don't really expect it you know or sometimes you know like i had a guy i had that cover shot on that uh strong magazine um, for their big game issue, this last, this last, I guess, came out probably January, March, January, February, some time frame. And, you know, two months after the fact, somebody found my website and goes, I'm not sure if you're the same guy, but saw that image on the cover and I've got to have that for my house. It's like the epitome of elk hunting to me and I, I need to have it. And if you're the same guy, I'd love to order it. I don't see it on your site. Can you, if you, if you can add it, that'd be great. So yeah, I got back in touch with him and I mean, and got it up there so he could get it ordered and now it's hanging on his house in his, on the wall in his house so but it just comes from you know random places and obviously the, you know it's you know it's you know kind of a snowball effect you know it takes time you know for people to to start seeing it and you know to find you and to see to see what you are printing or the products and that kind of stuff and um and whatnot and then hopefully hopefully down the road that that will grow and um, I'm still a proponent of, I think an actual physical gallery would be, would be best. Um, I just think people being able to walk in and, and to see the images on, on the wall, um, does a lot more, um, than trying to go to a website and trying to, to, you know, not exactly sure what you're getting from a product mm-hmm. standpoint and, and that kind of stuff. So Jason, I have this conversation all the time because it's, you know, Instagram, people use Instagram for their business portfolio, Yeah. but the same people are cropping images down to the size of a postage stamp. So you couldn't print it, you know, probably couldn't even print a four by six. Right. With, you know, the crop that, that they have. So, and I know because I'm standing right next to them, I know the setup they were shooting with. And, and then I see the crop and it's like, Holy smokes. That's about yeah. three pixels left on that bad boy. Yeah, that, that, <laughs> that actually that cover shot, that elk shot, um, the printer was actually a little bit concerned about it being a, maybe a little pixelated because we printed it was a forty by sixty. It was a it was a big mm-hmm. nice print. Um, you know, two thirds of the image was there, but um, they were a little concerned going that big. It was looking a little pixelated. Um, you know, so they they sent me a full 
a full size print, just a test strip of it. Um, and I got it and I thought it was fine. Um, and they were, you know, and I, I did a little bit tweak, a little bit of work, you know, you went back into Photoshop and resharpened it and, and, you know, did a few things in there to, to try and get a little bit more out of it. Um, and end of the day, I think it turned out great, but yeah, exactly to your point, it's, you know, if you're going to end up printing something big like that for, you know, a, a fine art print, you need the, you need the resolution. Um, and you can't have those cropped images. And Yeah, no, I think you're, you're spot on, Chris. And it's funny that I think that's a real problem with Instagram, to be honest with you. Um, and that's the, again, back to your idea of a gallery. Um, mm, people yeah. put a lot of photos on Instagram that you just know won't print well. You know, yeah. you just, you can tell even on Instagram sometimes, but, um, yep. Uh, and, and people that are buying prints should should just be sorry. <laughs> people that are buying prints should be wary of that. Your, your dog agrees. <laughs> yes, the dog agrees. Just <laughs> trying to chime in a little bit. Mine was too in the background. I'm not sure if you could hear it. But yeah, I mean that's that's I think I think long term that would be the the goal would be to have a, a physical space somewhere, um, and maybe not even long term. Like I was I was setting things in motion to make it happen last year. Um, and then obviously COVID kind of had different plans for that. And um, I think it kind of let me to stick a step back and let's say, let's, let's take our time a little bit more. Let's, let's build the portfolio a little bit more. Let's get, you know, some things figured out first and, um, you know, re- we'll revisit that when it's the time is right in the future. So. Well, I don't think there's any doubt your portfolio is strong enough. I mean, it's, we always, uh, all of us, probably feel that it could be it could be deeper it could be stronger whatever but you've got some incredible images and i think that the the two genres that you kind of tie together to make those nature scapes i think it it works together perfectly you've got a great eye for the landscape and then when you have the opportunity to put the wildlife in that landscape man there's some really strong images there thank you man i appreciate it that's I don't know. And for me, I just think it's, you know, when I think about prints and I think about what people want to buy and put on their wall, I feel, I feel something that tells more of a story with the, with it be the landscape and a critter or, you know, a lot of times people like landscapes, just landscapes because it's takes them back to a place they visited a trip or something like that. Or, you know, or if you can put a, a critter in there in the landscape as well, it gives it that extra wow factor. You know, I think there's definitely a, a place in a, in a case for, you know, your big, cool portrait wildlife shots. But I just think they're, you know, they, they have to be so badass, you know, for somebody to, to want to put that on their wall that's going to sit there in their home for, you mm-hmm. know, 20, 30 years. So I think the more that we can tie the nature and the the whole setting into it and really, really take somebody to a place and, and an experience, you know, maybe, maybe they've had that experience sitting, sitting next to, you know, Oxbow Bend and Tetons and a, and a herd of elk goes across the river or, a, you know, a bear, or, you know, 399 and her cubs come walking by or something, mm-hmm. you know, it's, or it's something that they wish they saw when they made their trip there, you know, it's, but it, it takes them back to their their family vacation there or their their trip there, and it, it it helps helps a little bit more than just I think just that portrait shot. Don't get me wrong; I think there's still a place for the portrait shots, um, but it's it's I I'm, I focus a little bit more on the 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 all encompassing you know landscape incorporated to it. So yeah, and it, it I mean definitely is a, a style that you have or that you've developed based on your past and, and your present. But I, I think it's a style that relates very well to exactly what you're talking about. That's the kind of images that people want. They want to be taken away when they, when they look up on their wall. Yep. And it, that's the advantage of that, that style in particular. So one of the things that you're one of the more well-traveled guests that we've that we have on your, you've been to several different continents and had the opportunity to photograph wildlife all over the globe. So one of the questions that we typically ask, and this is the one that I was alluding to earlier is what's your favorite ever outdoor experience? Favorite ever outdoor experience. 
I mean, it, it really, it really depends on like where you go and what you're looking for. Um, Alaska, you know, where I just was being in Alaska, walking around with brown bears, it, it's got to be up there at the top. I mean, it's just not every day that you can, you can go walk around in the same river with, with brown bears and have them walk by, you know, you're, you're obviously supposed to stay 50 yards away. Uh, but there are times where, you know, they come up from behind you or they, you know, there's multiple bears coming from different angles and, you know, there's times where they get closer and, um, you know, to be there in, in the river with them, witnessing them, you know, do their thing and, you know, looking for salmon and chasing fish and fishing and, you know, their interactions with, with the other bears. And obviously it's mating season as well, you know, so they're starting to, starting to chase the women a little bit and um, that kind of stuff. And to just to be able to be on the ground and, and, and immerse with them, that's a pretty cool one. Um, you know, Africa with the big cats is, is up there from as well with the light, with the wildlife side of things. Um, you know, there's obviously just, there's so many cool places in this world with cool things, you know, um, I think Churchill with the polar bears in the fall will be one of those ones too, to be able to walk around with polar bears and, and hopefully, you know, hopefully we get that opportunity, right? Hopefully the trip happens and hopefully the polar bears are there. I mean, obviously there's a lot of things that can, Mm -hmm. you know, make it not, not be the case, but, um, I think that'll be right up there with them too, you know? Have you ever been up there? No, I have not. I have not been after polar bears at all or, or Churchill or, or not. So, Yeah, that's definitely on the short list for me. And we just had a friend who just got a, a concession up there. So I think it's it's probably going to come into fruition in the next year at least. And I don't right. think it'll be this fall, but probably be 2022 for sure. Very cool. Yeah. Like, yeah, mine, this trip has been a, a, you know, two, three years in the works, you know, so, and obviously with COVID and stuff, we were, you know, we weren't even sure it was going to happen. So yeah, I can't wait to hear how your trip goes, man. I'll have to stay in touch with you and yeah, see if it's everything that you were hoping it was. Hopefully it is. So yeah, I'm excited. I'm hoping, I'm hoping that, you know, obviously there's some peaks going up with COVID and around, you know, different places with these other variants and stuff and, and whatnot. And, um, but it, it does seem like the world is opening back up a little bit more. And, um, you know, so Africa, I think, is going to be a fun trip because I still think there's there's less people there than there ever has been, you know, from a tourism standpoint. So it mm-hmm. makes it a little bit better from that standpoint. And then obviously with hopefully the Canadian border opening up and having a chance to do that trip would be awesome. Yeah, Africa's kind of a, it's going to be a unique year there. Because everybody that had concessions over there, if they couldn't pay for them without having any any clients travel, they lost them. So they were still required to pay for the concession, required to pay for all the folks that they had working for them, um, even though they had no ability to travel or get clients in. So I, I think you're right. Some of those concessions that were lost are just closed. And so there is less people traveling right now. Yeah, you know, even though we're seeing record numbers in the U.S. Uh, as yeah. far as you know, Grand Teton National Park, Yellowstone National Park, it's just insane there. Yeah, um, yeah, I try and stay away from those places between the the, the two Memorial summer. and Labor Day. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> no can do, which is yep. a bummer because the bison rut is pretty fun. Yeah, I mean, it would it would be cool to do, you know, get out there. I'd like to do, you know, a summer trip out that way, some velvet, elk, whatever. Um, but, you know, just last year, I was out there that way a little bit last year. And then this year, it's just there's too many people right now. So, you know, mm-hmm. when the world goes back to normal and everybody goes back to work and um, it dies down a little bit. Because, Jason, you said you were back and you were right in Rocky not too long ago. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. They still doing the reservations and all that, and they are. They are doing reservations, and they're. Um, oh, the main park is less restrictive, but the the Moraine and Bear Lake area is more restrictive. So yeah, they're they're like not letting people drive up that road, right? Uh, fifteen hundred passes a day is That's what it. they're allowing. Yep. Yep. So it's all timed entry, five o'clock in the morning till six o'clock at night. So. Wow. 
Yeah. It's pretty restrictive, but it, it's helping with numbers too, for sure. There's no question. Oh, yeah, cool. Yeah, I'll have, to, I'll have to reach out to you. I, I've got a couple of days here and there, but September is really busy. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And then I'm going to try to get to Alaska after. Yeah, I'm going to go back to Alaska. I'm going for sure now, uh, end of August, 1st of October. That'll be fun. So Nice. So you're going to go yeah. up again in October? Yeah, just 1st of October, try to catch some moose rut. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, one of the guys, one of the guys that I was with um, at uh, Brooks this last this last trip, um, we were actually we had plans to do all sorts of stuff. We were going to go out, fly out to a couple of different spots, and it, pilots just were not willing to get us to where we wanted to go, and it proved to be more difficult than we expected. But um, but anyway, Sean's going back. The I want to say like the third week of September, like right before the the Brooks Lodge closes like mm-hmm. for a couple of days and then he's going to stay like a week after it closes and get the, get the fall colors and all that from, from the fishing guys and everybody up there, you know, the employees that are up there, they say September is absolutely gorgeous up yeah. there. So oh, I'm pretty sure we'll catch some of that end of September, 1st of October, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm open. So Chris, anything else you'd like to add? No, not too much unless you guys got any where, more questions or where can where can everybody find you? Um, you know, my uh my Instagram is Chris J. Hood. Um as I've got a couple other ones um that I, you know, used to do. I kind of focused everything back to just doing the one. Um it just got, you know, got kind of be a little a little too much. Um I don't I'm not super active on Instagram from a posting standpoint, more so on the stories. Um that side of things are kind of what's going on currently, but then uh, I will, I will, you know, share some of the work from the trips as well here and there. Um, and then the, just my website, chrishoodphotography.com is where you can see and purchase prints. If, if anyone so chooses to, um, there's uh that's really the two places that, that I, I share most of my work. So. Perfect. Well, thanks for coming on. I yeah, uh, really appreciate your time and I'm glad you got to see the game and be there for all that. And yeah. the post celebration, will let you go rejoin that. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm actually in recovery mode after that. It was, <laughs> I, I need a, I need some, some rest and some water and lots of sleep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So rest up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was fun though. It was a, it was a, really fun night. So I appreciate you guys. Appreciate you guys. Let me postpone it and enjoy no, no problem. Enjoying that. So yeah, for sure. And thank you all for listening to another episode of wild and exposed podcast. You've been listening to the wild and exposed podcast. If you haven't yet, please give us a rating and a review and make sure you're subscribed so that you'll get every episode we produce as soon as we drop it. And as always, thanks for tuning in. We're gonna make it someday Nothing's gonna get in our way We will be the biggest band in town Mm -mm. Round and round the world we'll go